This morning we begin a theme that we'll stay on for the next two months, and our goal will be to learn to see how things look differently through God's eyes. And we want to see through God's eyes so we can see differently through new eyes, especially so we can see ourselves and the people around us differently, like God sees us and like God sees the people around us. What we want is our natural vision to be replaced with spiritual vision. Here's how we'll do it. We're going to spend the next eight weeks on the story of a man named David. He's the one who wrote the words that Pastor Vito read from the Psalms right at the top. One man who plays an unexpectedly significant role in God's plans for the world. Every week, we're going to take time with one episode from his life, and what we'll find is how differently things look through God's eyes. Our time with David is going to teach us how God sees so that we can learn to look differently at the world around us. The story of David, we're going to start where the Old Testament starts with it. His story begins with him as a young shepherd boy out in the fields taking care of the sheep. In the eyes of everyone in that time, there is no character who has uh, less likelihood of playing a significant part in the plans of God Almighty. That's how David looks to everyone else when we meet him. But in God's eyes... He has a role to play that is as significant as anyone else could. Uh, it would be impossible even to overestimate how important his role will become in the plans of God. And no one can see that, but God can. And we're going to take our time with this story so we learn to see like God does. The timing of this story is significant. In the history of Israel at this point, they are blessed to have a faithful priest, and they are cursed to have a truly failing king. Those two things are true at the same time, right? The priest is named Samuel, and he is faithful because he cares more about what God wants than what the people want. And that makes him unpopular with the people, but it actually makes him popular with God. The king at this time is, does some of you know the name? Yeah, you wanted to show off. I'm so thankful for that. It's Saul. And he is failing because he cares more about what the people want than what God wants. And that makes him popular with the people, but not with God. And so when the story begins, God comes to Samuel, the faithful priest, and he tells him, it's time for a change. There's going to be a new king. It's not going to be Saul anymore. And then God gives Samuel instructions for moving God's plan forward. In the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, that's where we pick up the story of David. Before we read it, I'm going to tell you something that I believe about you. God has a part for you to play in his plan that is more significant than you would guess. And your natural vision will not see it. And neither will the eyes of the people that have learned to see in the world that you and I inhabit. They won't see it. God sees it. 
And it would be a big mistake for you to imagine that only if you had the part to play that a king or a queen had, then it would be significant. No, that also is not how it works with God's vision. Every one of you has a part to play that you haven't maybe seen just yet but God sees it and you should learn to see it and you should learn to see it for the people around you too. Your, your spouse, your children, your friends, the people that are around you in this church. Here's how the story begins. In 1 Samuel 16, verse one, here are the instructions that God gives to Samuel after he tells them, after he tells them it's not Saul anymore. This is verse one. God says to Samuel, fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king among his sons. The new king is going to come from a village in the Judean countryside that you've probably heard of, Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar? That's where he's going to come from. And God tells Samuel, you're going to go there, and there's going to be a man named Jesse, and it's going to be one of his sons that I will point out to you that will be this new king. Samuel is less than excited about this job because Israel already has a king, Saul, who they like very much. And so Samuel is afraid, and he tells God, I can't go and do this. We already have a king, and, and he'll get angry at me. He'll kill me if, if I go. God doesn't even acknowledge Samuel's hesitance. Because what looks like a problem to Samuel is not really a problem. God just says to him, bring a cow with you. That sounds like a good solution, doesn't it? <laughs> bring a cow with you, and when you arrive at the village, tell them that you are there to lead in a sacrificial ceremony to honor me. The elders of the town are going to come out, and they're going to want to be a part of this. They know who you are. You're the priest. They're, they're going to want to be a part of it. And invite Jesse too. And when Jesse comes out, he's going to bring his sons as well. And it's going to be one of his sons, and I'll point out the one, he's going to be the one that you're going to anoint to be king. Now try to put yourself into Samuel's uh, position for a moment. He, he begins to go toward Bethlehem, and he's got in his mind's eye a picture of what he's going to find. He's already imagining what this king is going to look like. And the reason he's doing that is because that's how human beings work. When we look down the road and imagine what's ahead, our minds are crafted in such a way to give us images that will guide us. Our mind's eye says, I'm gonna get there and it's gonna be a guy like this who's gonna be the king. Uh, and so he sets off to do what God tells him to do, but he goes there with that picture in his mind. Do, do you know that you do this as well in life? You have a picture in your own mind of what you look like down the road and what success looks like for you, don't you? Or for your children, if you've got children, you have a picture of what success would look like for them, or for your spouse, or your friends, or the place where you work. You have it in your mind's eye. This is what success looks like. Samuel goes, imagining what this king is going to look like. He arrives in Bethlehem. The elders come out. Jesse comes along. He tells them, we're going to go do a sacrifice. Jesse comes. He says, bring your sons. His sons are there with Jesse, and this is what it looks like to Samuel. This is verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. The sons line up, and right away, the eyes of Samuel go to Eliab. He's the tallest guy there. He's the one who looks most like a king. And his heart tells him that's the one because his eyes 
learned to imagine this is what royalty looks like. But watch what happens. This is verse 7, the rest of it. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. That line there at the end, the Lord does not see as mortals see, is the message that you should let sink into your heart for a moment. God doesn't see like we've learned to see. And in this moment, Samuel thinks it's Eliab because he sees like people have learned to see. But that's not the king. It's not actually Eliab. God says, in effect, to Samuel, the one that your eyes went to first is not the one that I've selected. You've gotten it wrong because your eyes don't work like my eyes work. One of the many ways that God is different from you and from me is in his vision. You... And I, we've learned to see in a particular way. It's not always reliable. Can you see this in your own experience that you've thought one thing based on what you saw and then later have come to discover it was the wrong thing? Can you help me out here? Yes or no? Yes. Now, sometimes it's what you thought was an end that was bad, but it turned out to be an end that was good because it made a new beginning. Have you ever lived through that? I have. Sometimes it was a relationship that went bad and you thought, how am I going to make it? And then you found someone who was just so much better. There's many ways that this happens. In this moment, God is already wanting to teach Samuel not to always trust his natural vision. How is it that God's vision is different than yours? God goes on to describe the difference in a nutshell to Samuel in the second half of verse seven. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So you and I judge others by their outward appearance, by the visual information that is available on the outside. Here's the problem. We look through lenses that have been crafted by years of misperception. I was hoping that somebody would go, hmm. Listen, grounded into distorting shape by the steady influence of our surroundings. What you watch on TV, the things that you read, the, the, the values that the people who surround you at work operate according to every single day. What you have to do to get by, all of that has an impact on your vision, on your spirit. I'm talking about your spiritual vision here, on your spiritual vision. God does not look at the people around us the way that we do, but we've learned to see people in the wrong way based on the outside. And that's what was happening here with Samuel, and that's why he got it wrong. Eliab is not the king. His his name means father. Uh, God is my father. He seems like a king, right? Okay, so Samuel says it's not him. So Jesse brings out the next most likely candidate, Abinadab. Uh, It means like strength and power in God. Sounds like a king, right? Not him either. The third son is Shammah. I think in Hebrew that means something like uh, despoiled or failure. Obviously, it's not him. (laughs) It's not any of the seven sons of Jesse that are lined up. And so... uh, 
Samuel's now thinking, well, okay, God said it's none of these. What am I supposed to do? And so here's what he does. Look at what happens next. This is verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, ascend and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Again, can you imagine what's in Samuel's mind? He's thinking, okay, maybe he's taller than Abinadab, right? <laughs> but, but get this. He was such an unlikely candidate, Jesse didn't even think to include him in the ceremony. Do you have somebody in your mind's eyes right now? You would think that person would never have a significant part to play in God's plans in the world. Does someone come to mind? It might even be you, by the way. Now, I'm serious. You might have so little heart in you right now. You had to drag yourself to get here. You're depressed and you're down. You can barely make it. You think, maybe I can receive something today. I could never give anything in, into God's plans. You might be that person. You might be the person who says, yes, of course, I know I have a, a great part to play. Tell me what it is, Pastor. All of you are, are meant to be addressed by God here this morning, not by me, through me, hopefully. But God wants to speak to you. And that kid who was out keeping the sheep, who dad didn't even think to invite. Samuel says, we are not going anywhere until you go and get him. Because Samuel is the one, remember why he's a faithful priest? He cares more about what God wants than what anyone else does. And so he says, we're going to wait until you bring him in. And so here's what happens. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Ruddy means reddish in appearance. He was reddish because he was always outside in the sunshine getting sunburned. He was not anything but a little boy keeping sheep. But look, the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. This is David, the youngest son, just a shepherd boy, caring for the sheep on the hills, out in the sun all day, every day. No one would ever think that this guy could have any significance in God's plans. That's why his father didn't even invite him when the priest came. When you looked at him, all you saw was a shepherd boy, not in God's eyes. When God looks at him, he says, king. Do you see the difference? Let that go into your heart for a moment. We're gonna pause here and try to get some real clarity about God's vision and our vision. And this is not a theoretical exercise. It's not meant to be. It's meant to be an exercise for you personally to shape and change and challenge the way that you habitually regard the people that God has put in your life. And you are one of those people that God has put in your life, I guess. It's meant also to be a challenge to the way you regard yourself. How do you look at you? How do you look at them? Samuel looks on the outside, just like everybody else does. God looks beneath the exterior to the heart, which in every single one of you is buried beneath layers and layers of distorting sediment. Do you know that about yourself? Isn't there a you buried beneath the years of the ups and the downs? And what other people say about you and what you've learned to say about yourself, yes or no? It's there. 
but it's buried. And not only is it buried under all that sediment, you also have learned to manage the opinions of others by putting on costumes that you've decided to wear because you want that person to think or to look at you in a way. All of it is so skewed and distorted and damaging to your soul. The heart in you that God sees and loves more than you'd ever even dare dream or imagine right now. And what God wants, and, and it's a, I've said this before, it's a dangerous thing when someone stands up and tells you what God wants. I'm going to do it anyway. God wants you to look at you through his eyes. And your son and your daughter, and your friends, and your spouse through his eyes, not your own anymore. Because when you look at you and others through the eyes that the world is constantly giving to you and putting upon you, you know what happens? You miss the potential that's in them or in you. You miss it completely. The possibilities that are before the people that you have influence on and have relationships with are almost definitely way beyond what you think. And do you know how powerful the impact is of your vision on the people around you? I can tell you as a pastor who's listened to folks for almost three decades now, you chronically underestimate what a difference it makes how you choose to look at the people around you. Parents, moms and dads, your kids are absorbing indirectly the vision that you have of them. And when you look low and you think little, they, they can tell. And the opposite is true as well. When you believe in them and you see something in them that other people don't see, when you say, oh no, you're a beautiful creation. Nonsense with the way the world's told you to look at yourself, dear daughter. Do you know how abusive the world's vision of young women is on them today? It's not just parents and children, it's spouses, it's friends. And it's hard, but, but think for a moment of that little shepherd boy, who's he? Our eyes tell us, you know what? Even if I believed that I had this potential before us, the truth is I don't have enough to achieve it. Have you ever thought that? Be honest, have you ever said, yeah, that's a great thing and maybe I could do it, but I just don't have the resources needed to make an impact. If only I had more of this or that, then maybe I could do it, but since I don't, it's back into the fields for me and the sheep. Have you ever done that? I have. And you know, even when someone comes along and says, you have everything you need, and by the way, I'm gonna tell you this in a little bit, but I'm gonna let it out now. You always do. Have everything you need. Even when someone shows you, say, look, you have everything you need. Then you look at you and you say, well, I'm just too weak. I'm not strong enough right now. I'm going through a tough patch. It's been, you know, a struggle for a little while. And what kind of power and strength do I have? We look at others. We say the same. Look at how, look at all those shortcomings of that person around me, how little strength they have. This is what others look like through our natural eyes. This is what I look through. This is what I look like through my own habitual way of seeing. But this is the most important thing I'm going to say. God doesn't see like we do. Amen. I heard you say it in your heart. <laughs> what, what I want for you as your pastor, and if you're just visiting for one day, I'm your pastor right now. If you're here each week, God called me to be a shepherd to you. So listen up. I want you to have the ability to see spiritually as God sees. And, and that is what God wants for you too, which is why I want it. I'm absolutely, unambiguously certain that God wants you to see 
with this new kind of vision. There's a prayer in the book of Ephesians that proves it beyond the shadow of a doubt to me. In Ephesians chapter one, the author of that letter was a man named Paul who among other things knew that the people in Ephesus needed to have their eyes opened if they were gonna know who God was and who they were. And so he prayed like this. This is Ephesians 1, verse 17. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, by the way, in his mind is the same exact God that called Samuel to go and anoint this King David. Same God. That's who Jesus, uh, the God of Jesus Christ is. He prays that that God, the God of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. That's what Paul prayed for you and for me that we would know where we didn't know, that we would have not just some smarts, but wisdom, not some new ideas, but revelation, the things that were covered that God alone could uncover would be uncovered for us. And then he uses the image that captures it right here. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened. There it is. That's the goal in this prayer and in, in my work and in our work together for these next two months is it's that our eyes inside, our internal eyes, not the natural vision that distorts our perception, but divinely illuminated sight would begin to grow in us so that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. God wants this for you, that you would see the people around you and yourself as he sees you. If you could do that, what would happen Here's what would happen. Look at the prayer continues. You may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Do you have enough hope in your life? Maybe one or two of you, but most of you don't. I can tell. The hope to which God has called you. Please listen carefully. That's not just a prayer that you would feel hopeful. It's a prayer that you would know what God himself is hoping for you when he looks down the road. The hope that you have for yourself is the ambitions and what they visually look like down the road when you look at them, your career success or the relational outcome for you in this or that area. That's what you're hoping for. The hope of your calling is what God sees when he looks down the road for you and what he hopes for you. If the eyes of your heart are not enlightened, chances are those two things are gonna look completely different because you're gonna hope for something that is way too low for you. But this prayer says, no, if God would open those eyes in your heart, then your picture down the road would look just like God's. Those two would be the exact same thing. Without new vision, what you hope for is arbitrary, but with God's illuminating influence, then you can see the right future to hope for. Think of David and think of his father and think of his brothers. What did they see when they looked down the road for David? Sheep. That's all they saw. But not God. God looked down the road for David and saw a king. And, 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 and in this moment, God's vision for him was a much grander hope. Listen, without new vision, that was impossible to see. And I'm gonna tell you right now, God's vision for you is a much grander hope than you've yet imagined. A significant part in his plans. Look at the next clause in the prayer. Second thing, you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. 
hear me out, with our natural vision, the first thing we see when we have an ambition down the road is what we lack. The things that we don't have in order to get there. Is anyone else like that? I know I am. Oh, if if only I had these things, then I could go that way. But no, we see the resources that we don't have to do the good things that we might do. The truth is, all of us already have absolutely everything we need to do the work that God has called us to do as his people, the richest, the riches of the glorious inheritance among the saints. That means that we as a group have everything we need to do the work that God has called us to individually. If you lack something to do God's calling, someone else here has it. And our calling as God's people is to have an open hand with everything we have, our time, our skills, our attention, all of our resources so that every one of us can say, truly, I am not in a moment of scarcity. I have an abundance of riches so that I can do everything that God has called me to do. I'm getting a little excited. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Because I see you. I see you. And you have everything you need. I know your heart is gonna tell you because your eyes are distorted. Yeah, but I don't have that or that other thing there. I just don't have it. We have it. We have everything we need as God's saints all together. And the promise before us is to play a part in God's plans for the world, which is now as broken and twisted up as the people of Israel were under the leadership of a failing king. And God wants you to see and accept it. Again, come back to the fields there with David. What has he got to be the king? Do you know what he has? He doesn't have any people following him. He's got animals. Do you know what kind of weaponry he has? So I heard a couple of people whisper it because of the F sound, a sling. Slingshot, you know where I'm going next week, right? We, we can't see it right now, but we'll see it next week if you come back, and you should. You'll see the story of this surprising fact that he actually does have everything he needs in his hands to to face the challenges to be a part of God's plan. So do you. You do. We do. Together. Third thing that Paul prays for, look at it. If your heart's eyes are enlightened, you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. In that one sentence, in Greek, there are five different terms, all of which relate to power. Whose power? Help me out here. That was so weak. God's power. (laughs) It's all God's power. And all of that power is for us who believe. And that means, it doesn't mean pretending you think something you don't think. That's not what believe means in the New Testament. It means choosing to entrust yourself into the one who's got all the power. Do you have enough power to play your part in God's plans? No. Does God? Yes. Where is his power? It is ready to be given to you the moment you trust. The moment you're willing to say, I'm not going to wait until it feels exactly right. I'm going to believe like Samuel did, and I'm going to trust God more than I trust all these other things. I'm going to walk with divine vision. That's what it is to walk by faith and not by sight. You have God's power in every way that God's power exists for you in whichever endeavor you decide to walk forward in because you're trusting him, whatever it is. Here, let whatever it is emerge into your mind's eye now. And here, I want to be as practical as I can. Would you please think of you and the people that you've been looking at?
Where has your natural vision been hoping for way too little? Where have you been focusing in on what you've not got and missing all that God has endowed us with for his work? Where has your weakness fooled you into thinking you can't possibly have any significance so that you can't see the power of God, which is made perfect in weakness? I want you to open your heart to the Spirit of God now. I want your heart to have its eyes opened by God. He wants that. So that you see those others and yourself through new eyes. I I cannot imagine what it must have been like for Jesse and his sons when David said, Go get that, when Samuel said, Go get the other one, and he came back. And, And Jesse probably felt embarrassed. Like, I guess I was supposed to have included him, but why? His brothers probably were were thinking, this is absurd. Why is David here? Because they were looking at him with the natural eyes that people look at each other with. And I'm guessing, it doesn't say in the Bible, but I'm guessing Samuel was thinking, seriously? Please let that fact shape your expectations. Don't imagine that you'll go out and then all of a sudden it will be like, yeah, obviously. Maybe it won't be obvious at all to anybody. It wasn't then. But God said to Samuel, anoint him. Watch what happens. This is verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. Samuel anoints the boy just as God had instructed him to. The last thing he would have done, the very last thing he would have done if he was looking through his own eyes and and, and not seeing through God's eyes. All of David's brothers are there. I think the narrator makes a point of saying in the presence of his brothers because he wanted you and I to think of what it would be like for us if that happened to one of our siblings. They were there, they watched it happen, and Jesse, David's father, was there too. And when the anointing oil is put on the head of David, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. God has a unique calling for David. It's not your calling, or anyone else's. But you know he also has a unique calling for you? Do you notice what happens with Samuel after this? He just leaves. Like nothing changed. Do you know what happens with David after this story? Do you know where he goes? Right back to the fields. Right back to the sheep. As if nothing has changed. Do you know what? Everything has changed. It's still not visible to the natural eye, but it's changed. Everything has. We'll see it very plainly. Everything has changed. You know, there was another shepherd born in Bethlehem, who was the king, even though he didn't look like it to anybody. You know where I'm going with this? When he came up, he didn't look like a king. There was nothing in him that made him look royal whatsoever. Natural eyes 
They saw a good teacher maybe or a, a, a troublemaker or someone to get rid of. But he was the king. And, and listen now, he is the king. Now, he is. He is your only hope. And I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that. Right now, your only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. That's it. Your only hope, he is. He is your riches. He gives everything to you. The Father shares all things with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shares all things with you. There is nothing that is not yours. You have all the riches in Jesus Christ. He is your only hope. He is your riches. He is the power of God for you right now. And you will not see that unless you open your heart to him. But if you will open your heart to him, he will open your eyes and you will see truly. And then the spirit of God will rest upon you mightily from now on. You should open your heart to him. If you've done it before, chances are it's closed down again because the world gives you new ways to look that are untrustworthy. And it's very hard not to look. Would you open your heart to him again right now? If you never have, open your heart to him and say, king, true king, true shepherd of my soul, come and rest mightily in this heart of mine so that I can see. If you do that, do you know what? You know what's gonna happen tomorrow for you? You're gonna go right back into the fields with the sheep. And, and it might look like nothing has changed to you and it might look like nothing has changed when other people look at you too just like it did with David. But listen to me. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. When that voice in you says tomorrow morning, nothing has changed, you say, yes, it has. Everything has changed. When your heart doesn't feel it, say it, everything has changed. When the people around you say, nah, look at you, you're this. No, you say, no, everything has changed. God, trust him. And then when you face the most massive giant, that giant's gonna fall. That's next week. Sound good? All right, let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for these brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you that the truest thing about every single one of us in here is that you have chosen us, elected us. You have selected us in your love to be the recipients of your grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. When, when he died on the cross, our sins were nailed there with him. And so the legal record with its demands are, are gone from us. Even when we were your enemies, you decided to love us so much that in Christ you would give your life for us. Would you awaken brand new faith in us? To take us out of our spiritual slumber and, and waken us up now so that we are alive. Make us into people who are able to have hearts that see differently. First, I pray that you would bring to mind the people that we've been looking at in the wrong way. Forgive us. And then inspire us to see those folks in a new light, in your light. To see the hope that you have when you look at them to see the riches that are theirs because you've given us all things, to know the power that is available for everyone who will trust and help us see with those eyes. And then when we look in the mirror, when we look at ourselves, whatever the voices in our heads tell us, the ghosts that we've accepted and mock us, help us remember your way of looking at us and help us claim your vision of us as sons and daughters, beloved and special, capable, full of potential. And then I ask very simply that as we awaken 
and look differently, that you would use this church, Renaissance Church, to be a light in the darkness, to be a new way of seeing in this world that is so confused. And, and we pray that your love would pour out through us everywhere you've put us in this world. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.